Welcome to Views on the News, a podcast series by Propeller Group, where we speak to three industry experts and gain their insights on some of the biggest news stories of the month. On this episode of Views on the News, we wander back into the wonderland of e-commerce to discuss the tools shaping the sector this year, explore the logistical and financial challenges retailers face with returns, and assess what the future holds for brands like Primark following the demise of fellow High Street Goliaths, Debenhams and Topshop. To provide the expert insight, we're joined by Paul Valois, Managing Director of Digital Accelerator Nimble Tank, Liam Patterson, CEO of Google Shopping Specialist Bignamic, and Katie Streeterhurl, Group Strategy and Planning Director at Shopper Media Group. And to stitch it all together, you have me, Rory from Propeller. So, who can live without e-commerce? The latest data from IMRG underlines the explosive growth of online retail in the last year. Online sales grew by 36% in 2020, the highest growth seen for 13 years. Despite these figures, for some retailers, e-commerce is not an option. Primark, which saw sales fall 30% in the final weeks of 2020, stated that it had no plans to open an online store. But with online-only competitors such as ASOS and Boohoo, whose sales rose 40% in the last four months of 2020, can Primark avoid e-commerce for much longer? Paul Valois believes that changes in consumer shopping behaviour means that Primark will either have to develop a minimum viable product to ensure most of its popular items are available online, or open up to the prospect of selling via third-party channels. So I don't think COVID has actually created new behaviours. I think it's been a catalyst to accelerate existing ones. As these behaviours become more ingrained, and the longer the lockdown goes on, I think the greater the impact it's going to have on Primark, not just from immediate loss of sales, but actually from their customers potentially finding alternative brands who you know can still offer uh, great products at reasonable prices, but can f- facilitate a new way of shopping for them. So in terms of the question as to whether Primark have, have got it wrong or whether they should be, you know, we, we all know they've, they've, they've sort of come out and then said they don't have any plans to switch to an e-commerce offering or, or even offer and set up an e-commerce offering. It's an interesting one. Obviously, I understand it. There's smart people there. They've done the business modelling, you know, they'd have worked out the cost to serve. And I think one of the prohibitive things is obviously their, their business model is value-based proposition. It's keeping prices down and selling en masse. So the single biggest hurdle is if you add returns into that and digital returns, it can blow the margins out of the water. However, can they survive without selling online? I think there's a threat to the business if they don't embrace it. You know, don't get me wrong. I know it's not easy to spin up an online offering. You know, it isn't just creating a website. It's every aspect of the supply chain and fulfillment and different warehouses and different skill sets and employees. They don't necessarily need to go all guns blazing and and do everything from day one, because obviously that's going to take time. But I wouldn't be surprised if they take a more agile approach and possibly create some sort of MVP, which allows them to have a kind of a curated choice of some of their best selling products um, available to customers through digital channels. Now, whether that be setting up their own digital channels or whether actually be partnering with an existing .com, you know, someone like an ASOS who already have that infrastructure in place and can take on board a new partner with not too, too much disruption. But it does feel like they need to have a new channel to market because the, the longer, as I say, the, the situation with COVID goes on and in and out of lockdowns and shutdowns, the more ingrained their customer behaviour will become. 
Katie Streeter-Hurl argues that Primark's situation isn't actually as precarious as it seems, and in many ways, the retailer is well suited to the current climate. We've heard, all heard, I think, a lot about Primark in the news of late and obviously their intention, uh, or no intention, to launch into e-commerce. And a lot of the commentary that I have read in the press has been essentially saying that they think this is a terrible plan um, for Primark and that the business simply won't survive without it. But um, if I'm really honest, I'm not sure that I 100% agree. Um, and I think, you know, there's certainly no denying that Primark has had a much tougher year than normal. Um, you know, last year they reported a 40% drop in their operating profit. And that's no surprise given the repeated store closures that the business has had to endure. But I think actually overall, given the circumstances, the business has actually shown itself to be surprisingly resilient. And after the first wave of lockdown last year, they saw a really positive response when they welcomed customers back to stores. And we probably all remember seeing these kind of queues of shoppers around the block who were keen to get back to shopping with the retailer like normal. And so much so that they managed to achieve £2 billion in sales in the period after reopening. And I think it's really important to say that despite what we all hear and read a lot about in the media about the death of the store and also the acceleration of e-commerce, um, the latest Mintel data is that their prediction is that by 2024, £7 and every £10 spent in retail will still happen in a store, um, which makes it still you know, a really important and actually the primary commerce channel for the foreseeable future. There's a couple of other factors that I think are really important for us to take into account as we look at Primark's business over the next few years the first one being that the economic climate is very much in Primark's favor at the moment so unfortunately we're in the midst of a very serious recession and historically that's played to Primark's strengths as a value fashion retailer and in the last recession we saw consumers trade down in fashion as they sought to save money on more discretionary purchases and that led Primark to gain very significant share and what we also know is that shopping for clothes is a really emotional and also a physical purchase so we like to see and touch the clothes that we're buying and with shoppers having been starved of normal experiences for well over a year I think it's also quite likely that there's real pent-up demand for an in-store shopping experience so I guess, you know, to answer the question, do I think that Primark will be able to avoid e-commerce forever? No, probably not. But do I believe that this moment marks the kind of death knell for their business? No, I don't either. I think there are a lot of factors that suggest that Primark's business is incredibly resilient, looking in good shape. And actually, we may well see that in the second half of 2021, they return to almost the same level of strength that they were at prior to COVID. A significant challenge for any retailer looking to enter the crucible of e-commerce is finding a sustainable way to manage delivery and returns. Earlier this month, the Wall Street Journal reported that Amazon, Walmart and other big companies are using AI tools to decide whether it makes any economic sense to process a return. The logistical challenges surrounding deliveries and returns can often be the difference between profit and loss. So how big are these hurdles exactly? Liam Patterson of Bidnamic explained. Obviously, fulfilling the products is huge. Getting that product to customers quickly is important. Getting the demand from someone to buy from you is, is huge. But m- absolute huge issue is returns. And, you know, it's big in high street shops, but there's not a, a direct cost. You know, the customer pays their own petrol to come and shop with you and to come and drop off the product. So you don't have that direct cost component. However, with, with online shopping and returns, it's massively expensive. You know, you've got to pay for that, that item, that package 
packet to be shipped back to you where there's no profit you've got to refund 100% of that order but you've also when you get that packet back you've got a lot of costs so some of our team here at X Amazon um, and they've given us a real deep insight into that, that logistics piece so they've got to you know collect the products they've got to understand what's the product they've got to check the quality of the product is it damaged is it faulty um, is it is it in, in very good condition and, and often customers lie you know they know that if there is a is a charge on the delivery they actually get it free if they if they tick that it's damaged so they send back a perfectly fine garment or product just to get the free shipping and save two or three pounds and by saying it's damaged and obviously if the if that uh, retailer took the customer at their word they then throw away or dispose of uh, often a very premium product um, so again they've got to check that that garment that product over and then they've got to restore it and and then the whole cycle goes again what's really shocking to me is just how f- much uh, products get returned you know we're talking double digit um, in fashion retail it's some retailers we work with it can be as up to 40 percent so you know when you think of what they're doing in a day of revenue 40 percent of what they ship out is coming back to them Liam makes the point that this challenge is doubly difficult for retailers without the logistical and financial muscle of behemoths like Amazon. But most consumers don't know or care how big your business is, but they do know what experience they expect. As a consumer, you don't often know the size of the business or you're not often thinking about the size of the business. So it's just a level playing field. If, if you can get the same or similar product from one retailer for free shipping and free returns, and and one and the other shop it doesn't offer that then you're likely to go with the other uh, item uh, of a of a retailer that is offering it for free irrelevant of the size so i think for for many consumers they're just looking for a great deal they're just looking for ease uh, you know hassle free experience and, and why not quite frankly you know um but that that is a challenge so i think the the small retailers are having to meet the expectations that have been set so so high um, both on returns, free returns, also delivery speed. You know, roll back a couple of years, you'd be happy and, and even expect it to take five days for a product to come. Now you order it on, on you know, on, and you expect any retailer to have it with you the next day or the next or the day after. And if it's not, then you're you almost feel disappointed uh, that it's taken three or four days, which used to be the norm um, just a couple of years ago. So how can retailers find the right balance? Liam says the solution lies in data and may lie in creative auction partnerships between buyers and sellers. One of the advantages of our, of our Google Shopping technology is that we can spot products that have a very high refund or return rate. So if a product is you know, much, much more likely to come back. So a good example in fashion retail is that men or male shoppers really uh, very infrequently return products compared to, to women who, who, you know, much higher return rate of, of garments. So to an advertiser or to a retailer, we often think, well, if I get a £20 order, I'm happy to pay the same, you know, to get that a customer to acquire that order. But actually the... Um, the, the profit is very different from if, if 40% of the women's products are coming back uh, and only 10% or 5% of the men's products. So I guess that's one of the advantages of our technology is that we can get capture that holistic view of products that are very high frequency in, in coming back and being returned and make sure that we align the marketing budget to attract customers who are, uh, or to pay more for, for customers who are less likely to return because actually they'll be more profitable to the, to the end business. Shopify, which is a very large e-commerce platform um, which hosts over a million retailers, they got a patent approved um, for some technology, for some AI machine learning driven technology. So the idea in this in this patent from Shopify is that there'll be an auction model. So you'd actually say, okay, I've got this product, um, you know, I'm going to offer it to anyone else who wants to buy the same product at, and, and the retailer could set the, set the discount, you know, 40% off. 
So then a, an anonymous consumer sees this fantastic deal on the site, goes, actually, I'll buy that for 40% off. Uh, and, and on the proviso that it's going to be shipped from the customer who's got it. So then the customer who's got that product they don't want is then, you know, gets the free returns label and, and ships it back um, direct to the, the new customer. Um, so, so I thought it was a really smart way of, of actually making sure these products don't just end up in landfill, cutting out that cost of, of bringing it back to the, to the retailer. As Liam just illustrated, tools and technology are going to play a vital role for all retailers, whether they operate online or not. So, to wrap up, we asked Katie and Paul to give their takes on the tools shaping retail in 2021. For Paul, it's all about the tools which can help retailers inspire confidence in the consumer when the tactile experience of browsing isn't possible. I think there's the, there's the humble QR code, uh, which was dead and buried until COVID. Uh, now everybody knows what a QR code is. Everybody knows you don't need an app to read one. If you've got a breadth of product range, how do you deal with a small store format? And actually things like QR codes, um, augmented reality also, are great ways of dramatizing the product, either when a customer is, is at home and being you know using digital channels to shop, or when you've got a format store or a store within a store, it gives you access to a much wider product range and a much more immersive experience. And obviously the AR side of things is, is particularly important for higher ticket items. So being able to use AR tech to allow you to get a real sense of what the product's going to be like, what it's going to look like on you or what it's going to look like in, in a room in your house, for example, is a great step forward to help build that confidence and that trust for the customer, which allows them to fully self-serve and, and go through that process fully online. I think the other aspect of that, which is probably complementary to it, is the kind of rise of virtual shoppers or personal shoppers and sort of connected showrooms or, or digital showrooms, whether it be virtual walkthroughs of, uh, of an experience, allowing someone to explore a, a showroom, whether it be a car showroom or a kitchen showroom. And I think the other thing is actually sort of video chat as well. Video chat's going to be huge in terms of actually still having that experience you would get when you can walk into a store, especially when you walk to a, a store with quite trusted advisors and you seek their, their guidance. Um, again, it's about building that trust and that confidence for a shopper to kind of go through and actually make that purchase without having the tactile experience of touching the product. Katie Streeter-Hurl points towards retailers using more innovative and effective media buying strategies, which intelligently track the omni-channel journey to purchase of modern consumers and allows retailers to better join the dots between digital leads and physical sales. The past year has led to some huge shifts in the way that brands have advertised. And what we've seen is that they've moved spend really quite rapidly to e-commerce and digital channels. They've been making kind of last minute only media buys and then also working in a kind of cycle of continual contingency and also scenario planning. But if there's kind of one step that we think that brands are going to try and take this year, it's going to be to use tools and technology to better bridge the gap between the digital and physical worlds. And I guess to best see the importance of this, we need to consider what shopping is like now. So to make a purchase, we bounce across a huge spectrum of online and also physical touch points before we get to the point of adding something in our basket. And we rarely shop within a kind of singular channel or move linearly between them one step at a time. We kind of switch modes almost instantly. So one minute we're browsing updates on Instagram and then the next to kind of scroll and a click has driven us to a site to buy. And it's interesting because in many categories, whilst the majority of purchases are still made offline in a physical store, the information and media that are driving those purchases are increasingly online. 
And the big implication for brands really is the need to create structures, tools and technology that allow for the better connection of those two worlds. And at Shopping Media Group, we've been working with clients to use programmatic techniques and linking them with more traditional shopper marketing activity to basically find ways of allowing brands to connect all of their advertising back through where they're sold through e-commerce but also um, in the store environment too and those campaigns are delivering really strong results and I think it's kind of fair to say that we're not in a position anymore to be able to separate the digital and the bricks and mortar world and 2021 is a year that hopefully what brands will be doing is rethinking the shopper journey and what that looks like today because that's changed very significantly and start to organize their marketing efforts around that new world. So who can live without e-commerce? Even if, like Primark, you are capable of withstanding the short-term impact of COVID, retailers will still need to update their offering to keep pace with the changing shopping habits and expectations of consumers. And so, as technology develops and consumers evolve, we will likely see retailers of all shapes and sizes devise experiences which blur the line between digital and physical, whether they are in e-commerce or not. Thanks to our expert guests, Paul Valois, Liam Patterson and Katie Streeter-Hurl for sharing their views on the news. And thanks to you, listener, for tuning in. Keep an eye out for upcoming episodes and speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give us a review. Or to get in touch and learn more about Propeller Group, check out our website at www.propellergroup.com.